Hello, and welcome to Maine Golf Talk. We are your hosts, Zach Zonlow and Henry Fall. In these podcasts, we'll be discussing what makes Maine Golf so special. We'll be sharing our own experiences and knowledge as both players and coaches. We'll also branch out to discuss hot topics in the game and chat with special guests to hear their stories. All to keep you in the know and help you improve your game. Let's get into today's podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Maine Golf Talk. We are joined by two-time Olympic gold medalist in snowboard cross, Seth Westcott. Seth, how are you? I'm doing good, guys. Good to see you. Um, oh, this was a uh, weird, weird year, as everyone knows, but uh, first year for me in my golf history of not playing in Maine. And uh, yeah, it was a really, really strange summer to not be able to come home. Yeah, I... I... You know, I've heard from Zach. He was he was hoping you were going to be able to get it back and play a few holes at the Loaf, but uh, yeah. you know, unfortunately, it sounds like you've been in uh, British Columbia this whole time. I've been in BC. Yeah, I uh, I left Sugarloaf on March eighth after the uh, Winter Kids twenty four hour fundraiser, and then uh, the border closed down up here like the week after I got back. And um, you know, the way I've been doing it since my wife and I got married was basically to like spend summers there. And, uh, so Canada has a policy where you're allowed 185 days a year, like without doing any of your paperwork. So I'd kind of been running on that program for four years since we got married. And then, yeah, with the borders closing down, I blew through the 185 days. And so we started my immigration process so I could get residency up here. And, uh, basically until that goes through, I'm not allowed to leave because I wouldn't be allowed to come back in. So um just been family guy for <laughs> nine straight months which like even for my wife too we're both like so used to traveling all the time and uh you know in light of the global pandemic and everything that's been going on it's been a crazy year but uh, i've been up here and looking forward to things hopefully getting back under control and the borders opening up again and definitely looking forward to getting home next summer yeah, from what I've seen though, you're in a beautiful area. I got mountains and Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, we're in a we're in a gorgeous area. Um it was kind of crazy timing. We uh, a year ago in October, um my wife comes from an agricultural family here in Canada and um she had always wanted to start a small farm and so a year ago in October, like kind of right actually after I had left after my tournament there last year, um we bought a, we got a 78 acre property up here in the Pemberton Valley. And, uh, so about 45 minutes to the farm North of Whistler. And, uh, so we've been, it was kind of a blessing in disguise cause we just kind of, you know, when the world locked down in March, we just kind of were able to jump into this project for the full summer and get a ton of the infrastructure stuff that we needed to do on the property out of the way so that we could, uh, be able to, kind of hit the ground running next summer and start growing some crops and um so we've we've been just busy all summer with that and uh but yeah we're in a we're in a gorgeous area and good access to golf and amazing access to skiing and backcountry and fun, funny enough there's a uh the property sits um literally directly under sugarloaf mountain um <laughs> 
there's about, <laughs> there's about a uh, 5,000 foot peak in the backyard. That's also called Sugarloaf and uh, kind of funny. Awesome. Yeah. That, that's kind of where I ended up relocated to. There's a bunch of sugarloafs in Maine. I, I was on oh, a mission at one point to count them all, but yeah. <laughs> well, and all over, you know, it's like, um, I'll have to send you guys a photo of this because I mean, it looks from the, actually you can see it from the course that I'm a member at up here. Um, and it looks just like the sugarloaf sticker <laughs> kind of, uh, our set our you play away from the clubhouse on our first hole number two you come back and you're looking over this pond and most mornings it's like reflected in the pond right there and uh it's pretty pretty iconic just like just like we think of with our our logo at home you might have to uh build a golf hole on uh on your properties to kind of mimic uh the loaf out here absolutely i uh i definitely had a driving range going in the spring when everything was shut down and courses were delayed and opening and uh thinking of ways that I can upgrade that for the spring again but uh yeah we we got plenty of land to do it so uh so Seth let's uh let's dive into a little bit about your career your uh your history here in Maine and then uh we'll kind of jump into some uh some golf stuff but uh you know you grew up in Maine you went to CVA uh where did your kind of love of golf love of skiing kind of start you know was it from your parents was it you know friends wanting you to get in but you know how did you get started um yeah neither my parents really weren't skiers we uh we had one year my dad worked at Colby and my mom was at UMF and uh when I was in the fourth grade um my mom got a grant to go over and do um like for lack of a better term movement. Um, but really like she was a dance professor at UMF, but like the, the course that she taught, like she went and taught PE and Rangeley for one year. Um, but it was all about body movement and stuff. And so that year that I lived in Rangeley was fourth grade. And that was when I got introduced to downhill skiing for the first time. And then the following year, we had been living in East Vassalboro, kind of just outside of Waterville while my dad was working at Colby when I was up until I was eight. And then when we moved out of Rangeley, we moved down to Farmington. My mom had been commuting from, uh, from Vassalboro to Farmington all those years. And then my dad, um, you know, they kind of decided it was time to switch and him start doing the commute. So we moved to Farmington, um, at the start of fifth grade. And so having, the Tickumski slope right there. Um, that second year, you know, I mean, I, we had a ski, it was called the ski skate program through the schools in Rangeley. And so that was really like Tuesdays, the whole school would get out of, um, get out of class at noon and head over to Saddleback. And that was where I got my initial, um, experience with going skiing. And then, the next year when we got down to Farmington, um, there was a bus that would take you every afternoon right from school. So I joined up with ski team in fifth grade and, uh, because, you know, it was that much more accessible where you could like go from the end of school until, you know, night skiing started or, you know, just at four o'clock there'd be a bus that came back to town. Um, so that was really like once I started really getting into it and being able to do it kind of every day of the week. Um, and then golf was a funny thing because my, again, like my dad didn't play, but, um, my dad would randomly take us, there was a driving range, like kind of halfway between 
well, it was actually closer to Norwich Walk than Waterville, but um, for whatever reason, my dad would take us there a little bit when we were kids. And uh, now that driving range is like a tractor museum and there's a little diner there, but that was the first place that um, I ever hit golf balls as a kid and, you know, with no instruction and my dad not really having any real instruction or playing the game either. Um, but it was just kind of one of those things. It was, I think it, for him, it was something to like break up the drive and he was a very physical person. So, um, we would end up in the summer months, like stopping there as we'd be going back and forth to, to Colby college for whatever reason. And that was kind of like the first time I ever put a golf club in my hands. And then, um, really golf was for me, something I didn't take up until my late twenties. Like I, you know, Sugarloaf became a part of my life basically at the start of seventh grade. Um, you know, I, when I discovered snowboarding in sixth grade, snowboarding wasn't allowed at Titcom. Um, and so having Sugarloaf right up the road there, um, you know, I would jump in with friends or friends, parents and, um, start going to Sugarloaf at the start of seventh grade, um, because it was the only place that we can snowboard. And so that became my intro to Sugarloaf. And then, after graduating high school, um, in the summers when I came back, I started working as a cart boy um, when the clubhouse was up in what is now the Winter Stick Factory, and we used to run all the carts out of the back of the barn there. Nice. Um, so that was kind of, you know, at that point, I was around golf, but it was still, I was a bit of a jackass, and we'd go out and rally <laughs> around the course, and uh, I didn't quite you know, I was solely focused on action sports. And so I didn't really get how people would spend that many hours out there. But so I was, was, was Tobias your boss back then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Hoisey was there, you know, oh, Hoisey man. And, and, and Johnny. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. And and those days were the days of like, you actually had to run the hill because, you know, <laughs> all the all the carts, like, they'd take a couple chairs off the line. And so all the carts were basically like parked behind the barn or stuffed in the barn. And so every time someone would pull into the parking lot, like you'd drive a cart down the hill and then literally like sprint back up the hill if it was a group of four or whatever. And, and so in those days, like they hired a lot of the CVA kids. Cause like for summer training, like Forrest Carey was yeah. there and Josh Pike and um, Josh Silver and like a lot of us, all worked that job because the ski coaches liked that we had to like sprint back up the hill every time after <laughs> delivering a cart. So in a way, at least you're getting some physical training every day. And um, so at that point, uh, Johnny Warren worked there with me too. And we lived in his condo over in Snowbrook at the time, um, his parents' condo. And um, I remember his dad had given him a set of golf clubs that I, you know, I don't remember Buzz ever going and playing golf, but we had this, uh, I think there was an old set of McGregor's and I remember like there really wasn't a driver. Like we were trying to hit three irons everywhere. And of course, like neither of us knew how to swing. So it was usually painful because I think the clubs were from like the early seventies. And, uh, <laughs> but those were like my first, uh, first golf experiences and, and they were at the loaf. And then, uh, Later on, um, in 2005, um, after I won the world championships, um, I got picked up by Nike and, you know, Nike was of course doing a huge push in golf at that point. And the, 
the team manager was just kind of like, we hung out a couple times. We uh, were working on a design program for race jerseys for the following year for the Olympics. And, um, and after a few of these meetings, he was just like, Hey, you know, I think like the way that you think about things and about product and about, you know, designing stuff, he's like, I really think you have like a mind for golf and you should get into this. And so I had like five years of being on Nike and, he actually created like a separate product budget for me at that point. Um, so that as a part of my contract, so I could like just get whatever I needed for golf equipment and stuff. And that was really when, you know, the bug hit me and, um, you know, it was some good years for tiger right at that point. And so it was kind of like part of my summer training, you know, was like getting pumped, watching athletes in other sports. And, uh, and you know, like I, I kind of remember, some good years right then of like tiger over at the open championships and different, different events. And it was really, when I was first starting to watch golf and, uh, and it just became like, I just became obsessed with it as you know, you guys know how, how obsessive it would be. Did, did you ever cross paths with tiger? No, 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 I didn't. Um, no, I mean, I, I've gotten to meet a number of players and uh, like I took Eric down to uh, now it's the RSM. It used to be the McGladry classic. Um, I got invited by Davis love to come down and do the pro-am one year. And, um, and we met a bunch of the, um, a bunch of the golf channel guys. Like that was actually like the, I, uh, Matt Janella and I shared a car ride in from the airport together. And then, uh, Tim Rosafort and kind of like the whole crew um, were all playing the pro-am and we were all kind of paired in a couple groups, like where they split up a bunch of the golf channel guys and myself. Um, but it was, it was cool. We had a cool experience of going to Davis's house for the, the pairings meeting for that. And um, I was uh, played with Charles Howell for the event and uh, just kind of like, I didn't know that Davis was actually a pretty big snowboarder and uh, that was kind of like the hook of how I got into that. And so all of my agent had set this up and it was kind of all unbeknownst to me, but I, I get to uh, Rosa Fort and uh, Matt and uh, Rex Hoggard and uh, Gary um, and I like all had a ride over and we get to this thing and, um, one of Davis's assistant comes up and is like, Oh, Mr. Mr. Love. So happy that you're here, Mr. Westcott. And I was kind of like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And, uh, cause Eric and I were there just like two main country bumpkins, like feeling all out of place at Davis loves house. <laughs> and, uh, Davis came over and talked snowboarding with me for a little bit. And I, I didn't realize up until that point that he was really into it. He spent some time at Island Lake Lodge every year and, um, they've got a place up in Sun Valley. And so it was kind of a cool, cool connection and a, uh, cool opportunity to go experience, um, playing in a pro-am like that. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you guys, uh, turned down a uh, private concert when you were there to, uh, just hang out at your, <laughs> uh, your place. Uh, M Mr. McClure was a little dehydrated after caddying that day and, uh, <laughs> d decided he was not up for going back out for more libations. <laughs> yeah. That, that it was, was actually the way day, and, You know, I, I think he, uh, had overextended himself a little. Yeah. I think he, uh, he gives, uh, Henry a lot more appreciation for, uh, for carrying the bag, uh, now that, uh, I know, think so. after his experience. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, you've, you've won two gold medals in, 
what's cool is it's allowed you to do these cool, you know, things. It's opened up other doors outside of just snowboarding. You know, you had, you got to go to the McGladry, go to Pebble Beach. You know, these, it's stuff like that that's, you know, really interesting. And did you like, get to appreciate the, uh, the moments or was it kind of just like, okay, you got to go mingle with this person. You got to go talk with this person. No, no, it was, uh, I really, I felt super fortunate and, um, you know, like the whole, the pebble thing came around because of visa and, uh, I had a great relationship with visa for a number of years and, um, their director of sports marketing, um, was just a amazing guy. And, you know, like he had been in on, um, the ground floor of like getting Jordan on the Wheaties box originally. And like, just as connected as you could be in all of sports marketing. And so, and Michael really had a, um, he had a really personal relationship with all of us as athletes. And so he would really get into like what you're into. And so he knew that I was into golf and, um, and that was how the whole pebble thing came about. And, uh, a big part of what Visa did was um, Visa wouldn't necessarily pay you a ton as an athlete, but they really believed in experiences. And so, um, you know, they would kind of like that year was basically like uh, 2010 after Vancouver, he was like, well, what sporting events are going on globally that you would like to see this year? And I was like, well, the opens at pebble this year, and then because I was a soccer player growing up, um, you know, the World Cup was in South Africa. And so that summer, um, I got to go down to the semifinals and finals of the World Cup in South Africa. And then Eric and I got set up at Pebble for seven days to uh, our room, had a deck at the lodge that overlooked the 18th green. Um, I'm convinced that a bunch of people thought that he was Miguel on hell Jimenez that week. Um, he'd be, he had a big ponytail going at the time and he'd just be hanging out in a, uh, in his, like in his robe in the room out on the deck. And Eric was, you know, quite the, uh, cigarette smoker at that moment in time. And so I think, I think if you tried, I think he'd be out there having a puff and people would come up and they'd like look up and be like, how'd you play today? You know, <laughs> and like, all, like people from the crowd are going by and we're in the third story. So like, I don't know if it was just that like height difference, but you know, he'd kind of under his breath be like, well, oh, 86 at Spyglass today. You know? <laughs> um, so I'm pretty sure was, if you, if he did uh stretches that Jimenez does, he'd probably exactly. end up in, he'd, yeah, he'd he end up in the, ER. the hip thing up there on the floor. <laughs> But it was really, it was a really cool experience. And, uh, you know, one of the, pra we followed Tom Watson around for one of the practice days. And then uh, there was like quite the group one of the other days. It was like Rory, Ricky, DJ, and Poulter were doing a practice round, had all their girlfriends with them and stuff. And, um, and just for me, like, uh, you know, to be able to like go and watch guys like that, like, on the practice days where I forget if it's like 14 there, but it's kind of like the, it's a uphill dog, right. Uh, dog leg, right. Par five. And uh, they kind of all just take like one tee shot, but then 
um, you know, like hit all different trajectories into that green to like figure out how they were going to play it for the week. And it was just, it was so cool to watch those guys do that. And then, you know, or like, likewise to like watch Watson walk around that place, um, you know, because of his history there. And um, yeah, it was just really a magical week. And we just kind of like had the keys to the kingdom of like staying in the lodge and, all of the uh, Pebble Beach Resort Company's tents. Um, we just had free open tabs, so we <laughs> we definitely enjoyed ourselves. And um, Eric went down the uh, on the Monday morning, and he'd never had his toes in the Atlantic, so we went down right behind the 18th green, and he he or in the Pacific, I mean, and uh, so he went down and like waded into the Pacific right there behind <laughs> the 18th green, so he could officially say he'd been in the Pacific Ocean and. Uh, it was just, it was really a magic trip and, um, and just getting to see a major championship like that, you know, it's the first and only major championship I've been to. I definitely want to start picking more of those off as time goes on here, but, uh, that one was really special to go and be a witness to. Um, yeah. Miguel making a dip in the Pacific. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> um, so well, you I, know, I had a funny moment too, like on Saturday night of that week, cause Eric was all tired. Like we were going and playing like a round at 7am every morning and um, between either Spanish Bay or Spyglass. And, and uh, I was just kind of like still feeling awake Saturday night and felt like going and grabbing a beer in the lodge there at the tap room. And um, Eric was like, no, no, I'm just going to hang in the, hang in the room. And so I go over and, and at that moment uh, Westwood was number one in the world. And uh, so I go in and you know it's like 9 30 on a saturday night westwood's in there having a pint of guinness not even sitting standing all by himself like behind the people seated at the bar just like watching sports and i was just like this is kind of too cool that like you know he wasn't that far out of it that day but it was like that was his way of unwinding i just found that to be like like a little refreshing that it was like you know, he was a few shots back for sure, but it was like it was Saturday night of a major and he's just like in the tap room at Pebble all by himself <laughs> having a Guinness watching Sports Center, like reading the ticker tape on the bottom of the thing because there wasn't any sound on. It was like, I was like, that's pretty cool. Like just because it like made you realize that these guys, especially, you know, I know from having been on the road for 20 years, like there is a part of that that is so repetitive and can be monotonous and that, you know, these guys find time to just like, they are who they are. And, um, you know, if that was his way of relaxing that night before the final day of a major, it was kind of cool to see that like he didn't, you know, didn't need to be surrounded by people and stuff. He was just kind of there having a pint of Guinness before going to bed. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just a sense of normalcy, I suppose. Cool. I mean, cool. you've had the opportunity to travel, you know, all over the globe doing, shoots and, and everything and competing, um, you know, but it's not always glamorous. And, you know, I, uh -huh. there's one, there's one thing I read about you traveling when you were first starting out, taking Greyhound buses and eating ramen. Is that, is that, oh, yeah, totally. I actually like blame my, uh, delay of getting on the U S team by like three years. Cause I, I went to nationals my senior year of high school and I think I had about $28 for food for the whole week. And uh, we were at June Mountain in California, which has 
the highest base elevation of um, any ski resort in California. And I basically ate ramen the whole week and kind of like passed out hiking the half pipe because I had no nutrition in me. And uh, I'd won the the overall Eastern series that year and Ross Powers had been second. And then, uh, yeah, I could have used a steak or two that week for a little protein <laughs> to, to stick a run. But I think I crashed both my pipe runs and it took me like three more years and a brief stint in college before I got on the U.S. team because I was short on budget at that moment. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, you know, we'll we'll jump into uh, some main golf here. You know, you got to play. You know, state of Maine. You've participated in it all. You know, you've gone up to the county. You've done. You know, the Paul Bunyan. You know, I I don't know about you, but I, I keep hearing these stories about you know the county and the tent city. And uh, is it as cool as uh, Eric and Ozzy and them made it? <laughs> or they just kind of just you know too drunk and too. Uh, yeah, too drunk, too long over to uh, realize. No, I, I actually, uh, I, I have a real soft spot in my heart for that tournament. Um, I, I haven't gotten to go in the last four years since getting married, and uh, actually, when my daughter was being born, because she was a late August birthday, I was like, oh God, I hope she comes like a week early, because otherwise, I'll never be able to do this for like the next eighteen years. But uh, <laughs> she, she got born. Uh, on August 23rd. So I'm in the, in the clear that I'll be able to get back there and, um, play that one again. Um, it's pretty cool. It's just, uh, Steve Leach, the pro up there. Uh, it's a funny, um, it's a funny place, you know, like it was built during prohibition as a way, um, the whole course is in Canada, but the, uh, the pro shop is in the States and it was kind of like, my understanding of it, it was, it was built so that people in Northern Maine during prohibition could go play golf and be able to have some beers. And, uh, I think the, uh, um, the legacy of that definitely lives on. Um, but they do a really cool job with the tournament. You know, they throw in a couple extra days of practice rounds with, uh, for, you know, a ridiculously cheap price for the, uh, for the four days of golf and um, the tent city is pretty fun. Like there's, you know, hours and hours of putting contests at night with glow sticks in the, uh, in the putting green in the holes. And um, it's pretty cool. You know, I, I definitely had not done much competitive golf. I, you know, I played the uh, played the bunion once and played the uh, state of Maine a number of times before going, but um, it just has a really cool vibe and, um, it's kind of neat when you have those events of all different handicaps taking place, you know, it's kind of like our Sunday tradition of going, or maybe it's the Saturday tradition, I should say, of, uh, following Reggie around in the afternoon. Cause, um, we play in the mornings and then, you know, he's got a gallery of like eight carts following him around for the whole day. And, um, yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool. And it's, it's a neat, um, you know, going to Northern Maine in a little ways is like going back in time. You know, you kind of pass through, pass through all the Amish land up there and everyone's driving horse and buggies around on the roads. And, um, it's just kind of a, it's a special place and, um, it's a, it's a fun, fun old school course that, uh, presents a lot of challenge and, um, and has a great group of guys that come out to camp and kind of party through the weekend and, and really enjoy the golf. 
Oh, you're no slouch. I've seen your swing. You you still playing that little draw? Yeah, a little bit. I I was yeah. trying. I really worked. Uh, I've been really working this year on putting a little bit of a fade in there so I can move it both nice. ways. Um, I've been yeah. I've been uh, and this fall I I had a uh, I had a club fitting late this fall for a new set of irons and uh, kind of it was the first time that I'd really gotten like on some real slow mo video and nice. um, nope. learned some things that I was doing wrong with my weight distribution. Um, and uh, so yeah, it's been kind of a actual fun fall of learning and um, working on um, changing some of that stuff. But it's uh, I you know I I think as all athletes that come to the sport, we get obsessed with it and we want to do the best that we can. Um, we had kind of a funny situation this summer where, um, like the first two months of summer, um, kind of opposite of a lot of places, we didn't have any of our practice facilities open. We could just play. Um, so I didn't get to hit range balls until like August. So some things were definitely off this year, but I, I had a, a few weeks of like rounds in the seventies. And, um, so it was, it was, uh, I was figuring some stuff out again this year and then, uh, like really big changes through the fall after that fitting. And I'm more excited for next year than ever just to, uh, to put some of that stuff into play. And, you know, it was really, I hadn't ever really spent any time on a track man. And so just really figured out some things about delivering the club and, um, and changing some of the numbers and, um, yeah that was really a cool learning process. And, um, yeah, we've had, we've had a few episodes where we've talked about the importance of fitting. Um, yeah. you know, we had a, a Leanna T- Wicks tap uh, from ping. She came on and shared some of her knowledge. And I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's really understated in our sport, how important it is to, yeah. to get fit for your equipment properly. Um, totally. So definitely encourage the listeners to, to get on that in the off season. Um, Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what you're up to nowadays with, you know, things in Maine still with the rack and winter stick and and winter kids as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, really my daughter turned three in August. And so we've just been on that roller coaster of no sleep and um, (laughs) trying to get back to normalcy of, um, you know, we, because of the pandemic, like childcare was off for this whole summer and, uh, finally, like kind of right before school started, we were able to get her into some daycare here in Whistler. And, uh, so my wife and I kind of felt like we finally had some days free again to kind of, you know, go and start having some adventures, whether it was riding bikes or just, you know, being able to go and work out and not being under the time crunch of like fitting everything into the two hours of the nap in the afternoon. And, Um, but yeah, no, life is really good. I'm, uh, I actually, I sold my place in Maine, um, kind of right at the end of August and then got a double lot right on the sixth green or on the sixth hole and, uh, at Sugarloaf. And so I'm really excited to rebuild there. I'm hoping that, you know, if all things line up that we can be under construction next year and have my new home on the golf course there at Sugarloaf and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just been a bit of a whirlwind, you know, like the, the fatherhood and childhood is definitely, um, a game changer, life changer. And, uh, it's been an amazing journey so far for these last three years. Um, 
but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to some regularity with getting home to Maine. Winter stick's definitely been busy. We kind of, um, this spring for the first time we kept the guys on where we would normally kind of shut down at the end of the ski season. Um, we just kind of figured in the pandemic, let's keep the guys in the bubble and keep them building and, um, build some stock and, um, it's been good. You know, we just had an amazing couple months of um, basically breaking sales records for ourselves. And uh, I think, you know, throughout uh, the recreation industry, we're seeing that, you know, like the, you know, golf sales were record breaking and hard goods this summer. Um, mountain bike industry was kind of the same way. Um, so it's kind of, it's cool to see that, um, you know, if anything, um, through this whole thing, people are taking their recreation more seriously and, um, and getting outside, even if we have to do it in slightly different ways. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a busy, you know, this was five years with the factory now. Um, and it's, it's, we've really, our team has really coalesced well there and we're, we're stoked, um, moving forward that we've got, such great employees and that we're able to, you know, go fully custom and really, um, my whole initiative for getting that factory going goes back to golf. Um, that the first time, um, in 2011, I went out to Carlsbad to the Callaway, um, fitting center. I had a, another visa employee that took over partnership marketing, um, at Callaway and he invited me out because he knew I was into golf and that was my first time of getting the full custom fitting and, uh, kind of at the same time in parallel, I was making boards with a friend down in Portland, Maine, Greg Johnston, who had a company called team eight at the time. And I was doing my powder boards for my Alaska trips with him. And, uh, and seeing the whole like custom fitting process for the first time in the golf industry, made me realize like, Hey, no one in snowboarding is doing this for snowboarders. And, um, you know, the biggest thing I could equate it to is the surf industry because the surf industry really has a heritage of using custom shapers, um, and dialing people in even to like the exact volume and leaders of what their board is specific for their body weight. And, so much of the snowboard industry was based around kind of cookie cutter, make as many things out of the same mold as you can. Um, and there's no way to customize it. And so what I was learning with Greg working in Portland and then what I learned in the Callaway process, um, was that there's so much room for tinkering, um, and making fine adjustments that make such a difference for the end user. Um, and that, uh, Greg ultimately ended up getting out of business. I bought all his manufacturing equipment and that's what we moved up to the barn, um, in Sherlock there. And, uh, you know, I, I talk to people every day on the ski hill, wherever I am anywhere in the world, these last five years. And, you know, I ask them, well, Hey, what's your favorite waist width? Because what's your foot size? And most people in snowboarding have never, um, had a proper fit on a waist width on a board. And so it was kind of the whole idea of getting people truly dialed in that I learned from that experience at Callaway that made me want to push winter stick in this direction and do all the custom fitting that way. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's, it makes a lot of sense in the sense that, you know, everybody's built differently. I mean, totally. you know, you and I are, 
we completely different sizes. So yeah. why 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 force the same board or? All right, I think Zach froze there for a second. Zach, he froze. Same golf club on. <laughs> Zach, he basically wanted to say that Zach's wrist of floor is like three feet shorter than your wrist of floor, probably. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, I was doing so good too. The shaft length on my clubs. <laughs> Well, uh, let's talk about this house real quick, uh, our potential house. Because, yeah. uh, I mean, granted, I think it's going to be an unbelievable view. And uh, I really don't think you have to worry too much about uh, people hitting, uh, hitting your you know, house. No, I think the slices are kind of like 50 yards past where I'm going to put it. Um, you know, unless, unless we got a bunch of uh, the French Canadians coming down, hitting irons off the black tees. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's safe. Plus we do, we have some really mature tree growth on that side. So I'm excited for, uh, yeah, like being able to kind of open up underneath it and then the big low view in the winter time. And I've always dreamed of being able to, you know, just walk out of my house onto a hole at Sugarloaf since getting involved in golf. And uh, I'm really, really pumped to like have that actually become a reality now. Um, it was exciting. Well, I guess, uh, I guess we've gone full circle here and, uh, you know, you started at the cart barn, right. you've got winter Back stick at the cart barn. barn. I mean, you're, uh, you're, you're full on here, but, uh, Seth, we're going to let you go. Um, I know you got uh, kid duty here coming up and, uh, yeah. dinner we'll, starts in 15 minutes. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll definitely have to have you on again, but, uh, to finish it off, we got our wicked fire, our right. five questions for you. And we're going to have you answer them as quickly as possible. So uh, without further ado, here we go. Your five favorite tracks in Maine. Uh, Sugarloaf's number one, Belgrade number two, uh, the Abenaki, Kibo, um, probably Rustic Valley. <laughs> uh, favorite hole at Sugarloaf? Um. That's so hard. Um, honestly, just kind of because I really love both shots and I love the placement you got to have. Like, I really, really like 14. And that would go back to the story that Eric had about consecutively hitting the 150 marker and then hitting the stake, but, uh, <laughs> or hitting the pin. But yeah, I let you hit that little draw off the, uh, off the tee shot gives you a nice little wedge into the green it's uh it's a beautiful hole uh, the back nine in general um i love it i mean you really can't go wrong with any of the uh the string yeah, of you, you can't. uh what is your uh dream foursome who uh who's your dream foursome you want to play golf with dream foursome uh whew. that's hard um Got to throw Eric in there just for the laugh and uh, some comedy as we make the round. Um, I, uh, I, I mean, well, for me, my, my favorite pro is McElroy. So playing with Rory. Um, and then I think uh, to, take someone from history. I, not that I'm not a, uh, 
Jack or Arnie fan because I am a huge fan, but um, I would, if we were doing this round, I'd want to be at St. Andrews and uh, I'd take Tom Watson. I like it. Your, uh, your sport idol growing up. Snowboard idol growing up, Craig Kelly, no doubt. And final question, if we went to the, uh, the rack right now, what, uh, what would be your, uh, your go-to choice? Um, oh, I honestly, I've been missing our pizza so bad just because I've lived on our pizza there for so many years, but typically, uh, my go-to order, um, would, is something that's not generally on the menu. Um, but I would either do, uh, Haddock in a white wine lemon sauce uh, over a bed of risotto. And uh, that's kind of been like my off the menu, but the thing I've gotten for years and uh, a little broccoli on the side. Nice. That sounds pretty solid right there. Uh, Some random bottle of red wine. (laughs) (laughs) Random. Uh, Real quick too. I, I, how can, uh, how can our listeners help out with winter kids? And what you're doing with them? Well, uh, ultimately, we, you know, by getting involved in the fundraisers, um, you know, I, I got involved with Winter Kids in the spring of 2005, just after winning World Champs. Um, the lady who was running at the time, Carla Marcus, reached out to me, and they were looking for uh, someone to be a spokesperson for it. And, uh, you know, to me, it just made sense. It was very much like uh, the idea of the ski skate program that we had in Rangeley that got me introduced to downhill skiing. And, uh, you know, the winters are too long in Maine, um, you know, especially if you love the golf season, but uh, they're too long for kids to not be outside and be active. Um, and so I just, I really believe in their mission um, of getting kids outside, getting them active. And ultimately like the interactions they have with the small ski hills in Maine, because it's like Sugarloaf and Sunday river. And now that, uh, Saddleback is back in action, you know, like those bigger hills can't function without a feeder system of the small hills around the state. And, many of those small hills function with hand-me-downs from the bigger hills. Um, and so whether it's like kids, ending up deciding that this was something they were passionate about and they want to get involved in being in operations or working for a ski resort as they get older. Um, but those community hills are the feeder systems for our big ski hills there in Maine. And uh, getting kids involved at a young age, getting them outside, getting them active, whether it's through Nordic skiing, whether it's downhill, whether it's just snowshoeing or riding a sled down the hill, you know, it's like getting them, um, outside and active is the biggest thing, you know, especially I know as we were younger and kids, um, things were really different than say like the influence that gaming has on society these days. And so it's like getting kids active, you know, it's all becomes a feeder system for golf. It becomes a feeder system for all the, the outdoor activities. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited for the future mountain bike development that we're planning on at Sugarloaf. Um, you know, there's, there's so many ways that just being active is the most important thing you can do for your quality of life, um, for the rest of your life. And so that you live longer, you're healthier, you're happier. Um, you don't deal with, you know, the 
the depression issues that a lot of society deals with because you're stuck inside all the time. You know, we are meant to be active beings and meant to be in motion. Um, and so, you know, winter kids, uh, is a huge proponent of that. You know, our, our biggest fundraiser is the Sugarloaf fundraiser, the 24 hour downhill, um, get a team together, come on out. Um, it's a amazing, uh, it's a, it's a grueling 24 hours to keep yourself going for that whole time, but it does the most in 24 hours the whole year, but yeah, find, find a way that people can get involved in the local communities and, um, the administration of some of those, uh, some of the projects that they're doing at the, at the feeder Hills too, because it's so important to get um, kids involved so that we can maintain that industry in the state of Maine. That's awesome. Yeah. And if our, uh, if our listeners want to, you know, find you or where can they go to help out? Um, well, I mean, just winterkids.org is the, uh, you know, the website for that. Um, my only social media interaction is on Instagram. I'm just at Seth Westcott. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, winter, wintersticksnowboards.com is where we sell the boards made at Sugarloaf and, uh, come on up to the loaf and, uh, yeah, be, you know, it's, it's going to be a funny year. It's, um, you know, just, I ask for everyone to have patience and, you know, like seeing, seeing all the restaurants kind of go to takeout at the moment. And, uh, you know, we're, as a society, we're facing this right now all together, you know, and, um, I kind of, one of my favorite sayings about all this is we're all in the same storm. We're not all in the same boat, you know, different people have people in their families that, uh, are either immunocompromised or elderly, um, all these different, all these different reasons why it can be more dangerous for different people. But, uh, you know, be kind, be, um, be calm, be, uh, be patient. And, uh, you know, the good thing of what Sugarloaf's trying to do right now is to give people an outlet. And really it kind of puts that focus back on going skiing or snowboarding is the most important thing. And, you know, there won't be any parties this year until, um, there's a vaccine out to enough of the people in the, in the community, but let's, uh, let's all try to be a part of that same community and, um, and take care of one another and enjoy our time outside, enjoy our time recreating and, uh, and be conscientious of those in the community that might, um, be more susceptible than, um, than others are. Yeah. I definitely feel like Sugarloaf's going to fight through and it's glad to see, uh, Saddleback back. That's pretty cool. It um, is. I, you know, seeing just even seeing pictures, of the guns turned on over there, you know, because I learned to ski there, it's got a special place in my heart and it's, it's great to see, um, the community of Rangeley needs that place. And those <clears throat> kids in that community need that outlet. And it's, a um, it's a great, you know, it's a great mountain. It's a great stepping stone. They're, they're providing, um, you know, I actually haven't looked at their price structure, but I'm, you know, their intention has always been to provide big mountain skiing at a slightly more reasonable price. And I think that's an important role to play in the state of Maine. Um, yeah, it's good to see them turning lips again. Well, I think I saw golf was up 30 to 40% yeah. in the state of Maine this year. So hopefully uh, skiing and snowboarding can, can see some of that as well. And Yeah. And I, you know, hopefully this is, you know, it's kind of, it's cool. If anything comes out of this, like the idea that people got more passionate about their recreation, 
you know, it's like to, to hear those kind of numbers for golf in the state of Maine, like hopefully this is something that we can maintain and that um, it is, you know, golf is such a magical thing that you can share it through different generations together. And it teaches so many other amazing lessons, um, you know, just humility, honesty. Um, you know, it's kind of like if you go through the first T's playbook of what it can teach kids, it's, uh, it's really important lessons in life about um, being honest and um, being aware in society. And I, I really think that like golf as a sport has an opportunity to teach in such a unique way that um, is really important. And so it's so cool that, you know, numbers were up this year in Maine because I hope that that's something that we can just continue in the future. And, and those numbers were up even without you and Ozzy playing your marathon day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many, what was the, what was the highest total you guys got? Uh, we, we walked 72 holes at Sugarloaf and, uh, that's walking people walking, walking. Um, <laughs> and actually like we kind of, we could have played a lot more. We got done by probably like three 30 that day. I think we started at five 30 AM and, uh, I think we only had seven, seven clubs per bag, but, uh, that was a really cool experience. And it's actually, it's something that as a fundraiser, I know we probably wouldn't get a lot of takers, but even if we, um, you know, did it through cart golf. Um, I think that actually holds a, uh, a cool opportunity as a community fundraiser. Um, we just have to decide where it goes, but, uh, but yeah, that's something I look forward to. Um, I'm hoping that by the, uh, summer equinox next summer, Ozzy and I will be able to do that again and, uh, get out there and, hopefully have a little less rain this time when we do it. <laughs> we, were, we were changing shoes after every 18 holes in the starter shack there and uh, going for another round. <laughs> yeah. I remember you guys just being, you know, you guys, you guys crushed it. Like I think you guys could have kept going, but the minute you guys sat down, you guys were done. It was, oh, it a, was done. Yeah. It was game over for Ozzy. Yeah. I think it was a little uh, tequila helped us through that first round, fourth round to just keep walking, you know, at some point the uh, golf quality of golf descended, but the uh, being a trooper and just carrying on was definitely the mantra that day. Yeah, that was, uh, I remember watching you guys. That was, that was incredible. I think you guys were already through like nine holes by the time like Johnny and I even got there. And, you know, I mean, we get there early too. And you guys oh, yeah. were like already teeing off on 10. We're like, what is going on right now? <laughs> well, Seth, we, uh, we appreciate you jumping on with us, uh, you know, talking a little bit about, uh, main golf, about, uh, what you got going on. Um, you know, we're definitely going to have you on again in the future, especially once you get back here to, uh, to Maine and, uh, get, uh, get, get your next round in at Sugarloaf. But, uh, again, thanks again for, uh, jumping on with us. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Henry. It's a pleasure to see you both and, uh, I look forward to teeing it up with you guys again. All right, guys, that was uh, Seth Westcott, two-time gold medalist, and we will see you guys next time.